Well, let's pray, and we'll ask God to meet us in the scriptures this morning. Father, I thank you for the work that your Holy Spirit does uh, in convicting us of sin, John 16. And thank you that that's a loving, gracious work that you do for us. And so in light of what Isaiah 59 is about, I pray, Lord, for me and for each, each of us here that, that you would come and in your love and your truth and your light that you would convict, Lord, and anyone here who's, where there's ongoing, unconfessed, willful sin and that you'd, you'd convict them of that so that they'd be freed and restored and helped. So I pray that you would do that. Help me, give me wisdom, give me the right heart. Help us to get in sync with what you are saying through Isaiah's writing of chapter 59, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 59. And if you need a Bible, we, as we always say, we'd love to have you have one to look on with. So raise your hand. We want to bring one to you. We'd, we'd like everybody to have a copy of the Bible. We are passionate about teaching the Bible here at Mercy Hill Church. We've been going through Isaiah for almost, is it almost a year or pretty right in there somewhere? And we'll be wrapping it up soon. 66 chapters in Isaiah. We're on chapter 59 this morning. And uh, Isaiah 59, by the way, in the Bibles we just are passing out, it's on page 618 in the Bibles we're passing out. Now when you receive Jesus Christ into your life as uh, your Lord and as your Savior and as your heart's satisfying treasure, some powerful things start to happen. Um, There's times where as you're trusting him, you will experience his presence becoming real to you so that you're strengthened and that you're, you're comforted and you're filled and satisfied. And you'll have times where you are praying and you ask God to do something very specific and very tangible and he does that exact specific tangible thing. So when you receive Christ into your life, you'll start experiencing God's presence. You'll see prayers being answered. But this same book also says that you'll have times where you don't sense, feel God's presence as closely. You'll have times where you don't see God answering the things that you're asking him to do. So why would there be times like that? One reason you see in the scriptures, it's because of God's mercy to us, God's love for us. If you've walked with Christ for a while, you know there's times when in his mercy he, he lifts off from you the, the hand of his presence so that as there's increasing hunger in your heart for him, your heart capacity for him enlarges so that he can pour out even more of his presence upon you. So it's, all, it's his love to have there be a season where there's a, a pulling back of his hand. You've also experienced that there's times where he does not answer your prayer, doesn't do exactly what you're asking him to do because he has something even better than that that he has in store for you, right? So sometimes the pulling off of God's hand of his presence, the the not answering prayer is because of God's mercy. But there's other times when it's a warning to us. There's other times when God withholds his presence and doesn't answer prayers because we're continuing in some willful, 
unconfessed sin. And in his love for us, he wants to warn us. Look at what you're doing. This is dangerous. This is serious. I love you. Wake up. And so he'll pull his presence from you. He will stop answering prayers for a season to warn you so that you'll be brought to repentance. That's what Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah chapter 59. That's Isaiah's message to Israel. And that's Isaiah's message to us today. So let's look at what he says here, starting off with this first question. What was going on with Israel at this time? And look at what Isaiah says in verses 1 and 2. He says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Now notice something really interesting, and that is Israel's been praying. You see that? They've been asking. They've been praying. They've been talking to him. Bring us your favor. Bring us your presence. Bring us your help. So here's Israel Help us. They're crying out to God. Help us. Bring us your favor. Bring us your presence. And here's God who's intentionally not listening. He's choosing not to hear. Now why? Why was God not listening? It's right there in verse 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So the reason God was not listening was because of Israel's sins. And and in verses 3 through 8, Isaiah lists the various sins that Israel had been pursuing. And it's it's a tragic list. Look at what he says. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. All this corruption in the courts. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They, here's a figure of speech, they hatch adder's eggs. Adders are a poisonous viper snake. So they hatch, it's like these, they're hatching these poisonous vipers that are affecting all these people. They weave the spider's web to catch people. He who eats their eggs dies, and from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity, and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil. They're swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know. There's no justice in their paths. They've made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. So Israel's praying, crying out to God for his presence, for his blessing, for his favor, for his answers. But because of her sin, God wasn't listening. And how did this affect Israel? She was devastated. Look at verses 9 through 11. She was devastated. Therefore, Justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. So so God wasn't helping her with his justice, his righteousness, his saving work. God wasn't helping her. We hope for light, and behold darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. So she wasn't experiencing the light, the brightness of God's face shining upon them. 
We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we're like dead men. So there's no spiritual life. There's no joy or peace. There's no clear guidance from God. They're groping along, trying to follow a wall and there's knowing where to go. Verse 11, we all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. Anybody have, we have some doves outside of our house. Right? You ever, ever have one of those? Okay. There's this moaning, growling. We hope for justice. There's none for salvation. It's far from us. So Israel's devastated. That's the picture that we get here. She's praying. At some level, she's seeking God, wants God's favor, wants God's blessing, wants God's answers. But because of her sin, God wasn't answering. So just, just try to get concrete. So she's crying out to God, you know, bring rain for our crops. But because of Israel's sin, God was not listening, and there was famine. She's crying out to God, protect us from our enemies. But because of her sin, God wasn't listening, and the enemies came and invaded her. She cries out to God, you know, bless our flocks, multiply them. But because of Israel's sin, God wasn't listening. Flocks became sick, no, no lambs born. So she's praying and crying out to God. But because of Israel's sin... God was not answering her. And this raises a crucial question. Every single person in this room sins every day. I do, to my shame, and you do too. We all do. So does this mean God's never going to answer any of our prayers? Does this mean, well, like, to get a prayer answered, like you've got to put in a week of sinlessness fat chance of a couple minutes, okay, right? So what is this meaning? Well, now think about some of the people in the Bible. I'm going to take one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, so you can see it works the same. Same way of salvation, both. It's more clear now because of Jesus, but saved by grace through faith. Same now as then. Take David. Remember, David uh, committed adultery. Horrifying act. And then killed Bathsheba's husband to cover it up. David. Now it is true that then when David cried out to God to heal the son by Bathsheba of his sickness, God said no, and the son died. But following that point, God answered prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer. The, 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 the Philistines were conquered. He caused a famine to stop and poured out rain. We see God answering David's prayer. So here David sins, adultery and murder, and yet God continues answering his prayers. And then my New Testament example, who would you pick? I picked Peter. Okay? Remember Peter? Jesus has been arrested. He's being questioned by the high priests. Peter, outspoken, disciple of Jesus. And he's in the courtyard, and three times, this is his shining moment to proclaim his allegiance and loyalty to Jesus Christ. And three times. I didn't know him. I don't know him. Curses, forget. I, I had nothing, nothing to do with him. Three times. The rooster crows. He remembers, Jesus said, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me three times. Anyway, so that's Peter. He sinned, but remember what happened on the day of Pentecost? Peter's preaching, 3,000 people get saved that day. Peter, 
who denied Christ. A few days later, he's at the temple. He prays that a man who has been lame from birth prays and asks God to heal this lame man. And this lame man jumps up and starts walking and leaping and praising God through Peter's prayers. So David sinned. God answered his prayers. Peter sinned. God answered his prayers. Israel sins. God doesn't answer her prayers. Why not? There must be something about Israel sinning that's different here. And I think you can see that in verses 12 through 15. I think this is where Isaiah goes in this next paragraph. What was it about Israel's sin that caused God to not answer her prayers? And what I saw in verses 12 through 15 is that Israel was sinning without any confession, without any remorse, without any repentance, without saying, God, help me to change. Forgive me, change me, help me. None of that. Look at verse 12. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquity. So Israel knew full well Willful sinning. She knew it. Verse 13. Transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following God. So Israel was knowingly turning her back on God, not following in God's ways, knowingly without any repentance. Speaking oppression and revolts. Conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. From the hearts. She was fully, willfully engaged in sin. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Sin is so widespread that uprightness can't even get in. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil, anybody who does depart from evil, makes himself a prey of the others. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. So that was the problem with Israel's sin. She was involved in willful, ongoing, unconfessed sin. That's the distinctive. That's what it was about Israel's sin that caused God not to answer her prayers. Back to David. Okay? Adultery and murder. And you can read David's repentance and confession in Psalm chapter 51. Oh, I would encourage you to become familiar with Psalm chapter 51. Because in that psalm, we see David confessing his sin before the Lord. He's repenting of his sin before God. He's crying out to God, forgive me, forgive me, change me, wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. And God does all that for him and continues answering his prayers. That's David. And then Peter. Peter denied Christ three times. And Peter confessed this before the Lord. We don't see all the details, but we know that's what happened because of what the outcome is. Repented before the Lord. Asked Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, change me. Help me. Fill me. I'm sorry. Set me free from this fear of man. And Jesus did that for Peter by his power and continued answering Peter's prayer. That's what David did. He repented and confessed. That's what Peter did. He repented and confessed. But that's not what Israel did. Israel turned her back on God and just kept walking, 
knowing she was turning her back on God, knowing she wasn't seeking God, knowing she was wayward and wicked, willful, ongoing, unconfessed sin. And so God stopped hearing her prayer as a mercy to warn her because he loves her to warn her. So here's, here's the lesson that I learned from this passage. Sometimes the reason that God withdraws his presence from us and stops answering prayer, sometimes the reason for that is because he wants to warn us. There's willful, unconfessed sin in your life. I'm warning you so that you will deal with it. That's why. Now let me give you two other scriptures to back this up. One Old Testament and one New Testament. Okay, so it's not just this one chapter, but I want you to see this is what the scriptures teach. Turn to Psalm 66, 18. Psalm 66, verse 18. This is page 481 in the Bibles we passed out. Psalm 66, 18. I want to give you some other scriptural foundation for this, this truth. Psalm 66, 18. Here's what the psalmist writes. He says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart. Now what does cherishing iniquity mean? It's the opposite of confession, right? If you're confessing sin, you hate it. God, be merciful to me. I hate this. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Cherishing sin is just the opposite. I love this, my precious, right? I love this little pocket of of darkness there. So if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the psalmist says, the Lord would not have listened. There it is. Now, New Testament, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter 3, way back to the right. This is page 1015 in the Bibles we passed out. This is a word that Peter gives to husbands about how we live with our wives. Men, listen up, okay? Page 1015, 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, weaker physically, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Now listen, men, there is no higher honor a human being can experience than being an heir or an heiress in your wife's case, of the grace of life. The day is going to come when your wife is going to stand before Jesus Christ and he is going to give her the grace of life, entering into eternal life with him forever. And that will just be stunning in terms of the honor that will be given to her. So honor her now. She is an heiress of the grace of life. And then look at the reason that Peter gives for why we men need to do that. So that your prayers may not be hindered. So men, if you dishonor your wife, if you speak cruelly to her, if there's anything painful that comes verbally or physically to her from you, if there's dishonoring sarcasm in an ongoing, unconfessed way, your, your prayers are hindered. Your prayers, do you see that? Is that what Peter says here? 
honor her or your prayers will be hindered. Listen, you don't want your prayers hindered. Prayer is like you're 30 feet under the ocean and there's an oxygen pipe coming down that you're breathing from. That's prayer. Okay? You don't want this taken away for very long. Honor your wife. All right? Or your prayers could be hindered. Okay, so we have to ask then, does this mean that every time uh, there's unanswered prayer, there must be some willful, unconfessed sin in me? And I want you to hear this really carefully because the answer to that is no. All right? No, that's not what's always the case. Um, one beautiful example, I love this passage, Paul's thorn in the flesh, right? Second Corinthians 12. Paul has this difficulty, burden, affliction, thorn in the flesh. It, it weakened him. It caused him severe pain and trauma and difficulty. He had this thorn in the flesh, and three times he's crying out to God to remove it from him. And the word for his prayer there in the Greek is an unusual word for prayer. It's desperate, pleading with God, Father, for Jesus' sake, remove this thorn in the flesh from me. Three separate occasions, Paul is laboring in prayer before God to have this removed. And what what does God say to him? No. No. Does God then say, because you've got willful, unconfessed sin in your life? Is that what God says? No. What God says is, in this time of weakness... I'm going to bring you even more of the nearness of Jesus than you could have had with the thorn in the flesh being gone. The difficulty of the thorn in the flesh will bring you even more of Jesus' nearness than having the thorn in the flesh gone. This is my love for you, Paul. So my conclusion from that is that there will be times when you pray and God won't answer your prayer as you're asking because he's doing something even better for you and it's not a matter of, of unconfessed, willful, ongoing sin. So if, you, if you're, some of you I'm sure are praying earnestly for something and it been, hasn't been answered yet. How many? Anybody? Me? I'm raising my hand. Okay, not just rhetorically, but okay. So there's times when you are praying for something in an ongoing way, earnestly asking God, And God's not answering it, but it does not mean that you're walking in unconfessed willful sin. But there are times where that is what it means. So how do you tell? How do you tell which is which? And what I've seen in the scriptures in my own life is, I already know when there's unconfessed willful sin. Don't you? I just thought back one a uh, sad instance in my life. This was years ago. I was a pastor down in Southern California uh, many years ago. And I, I'd been reading some books on um, investing and finances and that sort of thing. And I was getting all enamored about investing and money. And this is awesome. And this would be great for the kingdom, you know. And, and uh, But truth is, my uh, love and my excitement was more for that than for Jesus during this season of my life to my shame and uh, and there was very little of God's presence in my life I, I, I knew that um, when I needed to preach it was hard for me to find something that I'd be excited about preaching about okay I knew exactly what was going on I knew and the Lord 
changed my heart and brought me to repentance and, uh, and saved me from that. But see, you, you know, if you're bearing a grudge against someone in an ongoing way, you know, right? If what you're really excited about is getting that new car and you're more excited about, than Je- about that than Jesus, you know, right? If you're clicking on porn, you know, right? You know. And so we know. And if you're not sure, if you ask the Lord, search me, O God, know my heart, Psalm 139, try me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any wicked way in me, he will always answer that prayer. Always. The problem isn't that we don't know. We know. We just want to keep walking away. That's the problem. So the principle is sometimes the reason God withdraws his presence and doesn't answer prayers because we're continuing in willful sin and he wants to, to warn us we need to repent. He's saying, listen, wake up to what's going on. You need to repent. Turn, turn from your transgression. And the way that Isaiah closes up this chapter is by telling us why it's so crucial that we repent. And it's in verses 16 through 21 and there's two reasons he gives us. Why is it so crucial that we repent? The first reason is this. If we don't repent, if we continue in willful sin, that will show we're not trusting Jesus. And unless something changes, we will face God's judgment. That's the point of verses 16 through 19. Listen to what Isaiah says here. This is the first reason why it's urgent that we repent. Here's here's what I think God wants to do this morning before I read those verses. I'm... Some of you uh, have willful, ongoing, unconfessed sin in your lives. And the Lord brought you here this morning because he loves you. And because he wants to free you and help you and forgive you through Jesus Christ. But but let, let verses 16 through 19 put the fear of God in you so that you will do that. He, God, saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede Then his own arm, God's own arm, brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. And and that's a figure of speech a few chapters later that's clearly about God's wrath and we'll see that unfolded in the next verses. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak According to their deeds, so he will repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands he will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives. If we don't repent, if we continue in sin, then now it's sure that I'm not trusting Jesus. Unless something changes, I have no reason to think I'm not going to face God's judgment. Now let me just try to explain, try to pull some threads together here. When God saves you, when you come to the place where you receive Jesus into your life as your Savior, your death on the cross, payment for my sins, your resurrection power to change me, you receive him into your life as your Lord, you surrender to him in faith your whole life, he's, he's Lord of your life now, and you welcome him into your life as your heart's satisfying treasure. When you do that, God's supernaturally at work. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says that God starts a work at that moment, he starts a work at that moment, that he will continue until Jesus comes back again. 
So he will keep you pressing on in faith. He will keep you persevering all the way to the end. Now, that does not mean that you're sinless. Okay? No believer is sinless until heaven. He starts good work, which he will continue. You're not sinless. But what marks believers off from unbelievers is that when believers sin, we repent. The Holy Spirit convicts us and we respond to that and we say, I'm sorry, we weep like Peter after denying Christ. We're broken like David in Psalm 51 after his adultery and his murder. So that's the difference. If you're not feeling remorse over your willful ongoing sin, if you're not repenting of it and crying out to God, save me, Jesus, change me, help me, if you're just like fooey on you, you know, I'm just going to keep on doing this, then, then you have no reason for being sure that you've even been saved yet. But that could change just like that. Just like that. If you'll turn and humble yourself before Jesus and say, help me, forgive me, change me. If we don't repent, if we continue in willful sin and nothing changes, then that will show we're not trusting Jesus facing God's judgment. That's the first reason. Second reason. Beautiful. This is amazing. If we do repent, then we have a redeemer. A redeemer. Look at verse 20. And a redeemer will come to Zion. To those in Jacob, speaking of the nation of Israel, and it applies to all of us through Christ, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, that is, those who repent. So a redeemer will come to those who turn from transgression. Now, what's a redeemer? We don't really talk about redeemers very much. In Israel, if you like went under financially, you could sell yourself to someone to be their slave um, in order to take care of your physical needs because you, you didn't have the wherewithal to take care of yourself. You could become someone's slave. A redeemer would be someone who would walk up to that person who now owns you and would pull out his wallet and, and say, what, what, what do we owe you to get this guy freed? And pay whatever the debt is that you're owed. You're free to go. You were a slave. You're now free to go. That's what a redeemer does. Somebody who comes and pays the price so that slaves can be free. Now, here's the picture. When we sin, we turn to willful sin, we harboring a grudge against someone, we're stealing from the boss, we're slandering, we're involved in, in sexual sin outside of you know heterosexual marriage. When, when we sin, it, it's... It's like we've become slaves, like handcuffs of sin's guilt and sin's power. Chains clasp and clasp and, and there we, we've just become enslaved. When, when you choose to sin, you freely choose and clink, clink, guilt, power, slavery. That's the problem. Okay, that, that's, that's what takes place. Now, if we will turn from our transgression, there's a redeemer. And the Redeemer, this is a prophecy of the coming of Jesus. Paul quotes this in Romans chapter 10, I think it is. It's a prophecy of Jesus coming. 
So he was going to come and save Israel, paying for their sins retroactively. Now we look back on what Jesus has done. So here's what happens. When you turn to Jesus, you turn from your sin to Jesus, it doesn't mean you've got to first get, get your hands out of these things so that, okay, and now I'm free, and now I turn back to Jesus. Like, it doesn't mean first I got to get free from my sin. Okay, now I'm stopping that sin. I'm all done with that. I'm good now. Now I turn back to Jesus. No, you turn back, clink, clink, you still got the handcuffs on, guilt, power, and you turn to Jesus and you say, Jesus, redeem me. Forgive me, wash me, change me through your death on the cross, through your resurrection power, help me. And the moment you do that, clink, clink, guilt, gone, power, broken, freedom coming. That's what happens. There's a redeemer. Jesus Christ is the redeemer. Now, verse 21 a little bit hard for me to understand, a little cryptic for me, but here's, here's my best shot at it. He says, and as for me, this is my covenant with them, that is with those who repent, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth. I think that's referring to the fact that you're turning to me I'll free you, I'll wash you, I'll cleanse you, and the work of my spirit by the word will never stop. I will keep you. I will keep you. You can be absolutely assured. Heaven's yours. Absolutely assured. I will keep you. Not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. I think that's a reference to the fact that your... I don't think the Bible teaches that every child of believers is guaranteed going to be saved. But I think this is what referring to spiritual children, probably. That's my best, my best guess. But, but here's, here's the main point. If you're involved in, in willful, ongoing sin, if you will turn from your transgression, not stop it first, not get all changed first, just cry out to Jesus and say, I'm sorry, I want to be freed, forgive me and help me. You, you'll have a redeemer. You'll have a redeemer. He'll save you. Now, what questions does this raise? Take a couple moments here. I want to stress that turning from transgression does not mean that you need to change first before you can come to Jesus Christ. This is so important. See, you might be feeling... I hope this wouldn't be happening, but you might be feeling hopeless at this point in time, thinking, I could never change in this area. I could never change here. This is very bad news. And you know, you are right. You can never change in that area. You can't. But if you will turn to Jesus, still got your chains on, chains of guilt, chains of the power, and you say, help me, save me, he will. I mean, this morning, this morning the guilt that you're feeling can be gone. And this morning, the the power of sin that you're struggling under can be gone. Does that make sense? So don't feel like you've got to change yourself first before you can have a redeemer. The redeemer is the one who changes you. Does that make sense? It's a good question. Uh, let me just say a couple things, and maybe some other people can can uh, can chime in and help us out here. 
I don't think it's the case that if a father has unconfessed sin, that a son who, who trusts Jesus Christ is in any way culpable for the father's sins. There, where's the passage that speaks of the new covenant? No longer will it be said, right? The father's sins will be... Anybody know where that one is? Okay. Check out, pull out your iPhones, do the concordance thing, come on, all right? Um, so that's one point I want to make. Um, there could be consequences, but in, in those, God would meet the son and the grandson savingly, powerfully, blessing him, helping him, strengthening him. But, but nothing, nothing between us and God. If somebody repents, the heavens are opened. But the Lord will meet them in it. No, no diminished receiving from God because of anything your father's done. Even if there's consequences, God will meet you in those too. I think that's the, that's the best answer I can give. It's a really good question. Let me, there's another, another place the same question comes up. In the Old Testament, remember there's the command, circumcise your hearts. And there's the statement, I will circumcise your hearts. So that, that question's really good, and it's, it's, it's in multiple places in the scripture with different words. So here's my understanding, and that is that the reason that Paul commands you to cleanse yourself is because there is a huge truth in that, is you don't wait for God to do something. You do something. But what you do is put yourself in a position to receive the cleansing that God will give you. And that's faith. It comes down to fighting the fight of faith. You look to Jesus Christ, his promises, and you pray and say, open my eyes so I see who you are and strengthen my faith. So you're not passive waiting for this amazing cleansing thing, bammo, to happen. Okay? You cleanse yourself by setting your heart upon the Lord Jesus, using the means of grace, prayer, the word, fellowship, knowing that it takes God supernaturally coming through those means of grace and cleansing me. So who cleansed you? Well, there's things you did. There's things you have to do through which God cleanses you. And the, the good news I want to bring to bear, which is what you said, is that God will meet you with that additional burden. Okay? He will be there for you. He's, he's not worried about it. His hand is not shortened by it. He will totally meet you in it. Now here, here's how I want to close. and Let's, let's stand up. I just want to give you a final encouragement and that is followers of Jesus are not marked as followers because they are sinless. But the huge difference is that followers of Jesus repent over their sin. They confess it. They're remorseful. They're broken over it. They're fighting against it. So are followers of Jesus sinless? No. But they are repentant and remorseful. And so if you have an area in your life of sin where you are not repentant, and you are not remorseful. And you are not bringing this before the Lord in genuine repentance, saying, help me, Father, through Jesus. Wash me, change me, forgive me, cleanse me. Then, then you're in danger. You're just, you're just in danger. Because unless something changes, you have no reason to think you've experienced God's saving work. But that could change right now, today. If you will, again, not, not change yourself, not make yourself better, but call upon the Lord Trust in Jesus Christ. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to cleanse you. 
And he will. He'll meet you if, you're, if that's from the heart. So Father, I pray for your power to come upon us right now as a church. Lord, I pray for those here this morning who walked in here with areas of willful, unrepented sin. And I plead with you, Lord, that right now you would be heavy with your hand upon them of conviction and of warning, your loving warning, that they would not leave here today until they turn from their transgression and call upon you through Jesus Christ to forgive them and call upon you meaningfully from the heart in confession and asking you to change them. So I pray that you would do that right now by your power. Lord Jesus, come. Bring your presence. And I just want to invite, if, if you'd like to come up here and just pray about that, come on up. Just be bold. I just feel like we should do that. Give you an opportunity to make this tangible for you. And a Redeemer will come to those who turn from transgression. Thank you, Lord. Father, we praise you for the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to pay for the guilt of sin and whose resurrection power breaks the power of sin. And we praise you that if we will turn and look to you in faith, forgiveness poured out, sin-breaking power poured out, we have a Redeemer. We love you, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.